everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rhino Show podcast, voted Canada's number one black-hosted podcast by the Buy Blacks Magazine People's Choice Awards. Um, I have an amazing guest uh, today. I'm going to introduce him. Uh, I, 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 I was sitting there last night, and I'm like, I'm going to remix. This is how we do it. So I was like, yo, man, it's Friday day, and I feel all right. The party's here in Canada. <laughs> so I said, yo, uh, man, I got to I gotta represent the country on that song, you know? Uh, my next guest is Montel Jordan. He is uh, was born December 3rd, 1968. Sometimes in the black community, we say black don't crack. I think this man is living testament to this. He's an American pastor, singer, songwriter, and record producer, best known for his 1995 single, This Is How We Do It. Jordan was the primary male solo artist on Def Jam's Def Soul imprint until leaving the label in 2003. He is also, I guess, the worst six foot eight a non-basketball player with an amazing last name of a great basketball player. Montel, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Ryan. All that sounds completely accurate. <laughs> I appreciate Very that. Accurate. Now, you know, everybody knows uh, the show here. Again, you know, we keep everything. We're lifestyle, business, marketing, real talk, pop culture. Uh, but I like to keep it real talk with the audience. Uh, earlier this week, we, we suffered a, a huge loss in the Team Holt squad. My my wife's father passed away uh, a few days ago. So right after I, I get off uh, this podcast with Montel, we're going to drive and, and head to a funeral. Um, and I kind of want to start the podcast there. Montel, I, it's not consomme and maybe it's a little unprofessional, but I'd like to ask if you could say a prayer um, for for my wife's father. His name is Saeed. Uh, he was a great man. He, he gave the world a lot more than he took. Um, he was a great business person. Um, and uh, he was blessed to have another 15 years of life. He was diagnosed with cancer, um, you know, 15 years prior. And, and uh, the good Lord above said, I'm going to give you 15 more cracks around the sun. Um, so if we, I would love to say a prayer with you because you, my friend, mean a lot to me, Montel. And we will get into that later. So I'm going to let you say a nice prayer and, uh, and I will bow my head for this one. Absolutely. Here it comes. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Uh, thank you that with all the influence and the uh, the platforms that you give us, we still have opportunity to put you first and to put you at the forefront of everything that we do because you give us breath. And so right now, uh, I just thank you. I thank you for uh, the Holtz family. Uh, I thank you for Ryan and for his wife. And I thank you for the gift uh, of the life uh, of Saeed. Uh, God, it is my prayer that all of us, uh, while we're here on this earth, get the opportunity to know you uh, and to be known by you uh, and uh, just uh, give the family strength, give them peace uh, that Saeed will be spending eternity with you, God, that we will see him again, that I'll get a chance to meet him because one day we'll meet you face to face, God. And uh, we know that uh, this uh, this world we live in is literally uh, God, just the trailer uh, and and the real movie begins uh, once we leave here. And so uh, we want to have a good trailer <laughs> because uh, <laughs> we want people uh, to want to be uh, to go see what you have planned for us throughout uh, the rest of eternity. So thank you for their family. Thank you for giving them peace. Thank you for their hearts being at peace uh, that uh, you are good uh, and that uh, we can trust you. And so thank you. Uh, even as they are preparing their hearts to say goodbye, uh, Father, that we can also prepare our hearts that one day we'll be able to say hello again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. 
And on that note, let's kick right into it. Man, you are somebody that lives. I mean, from a young person, I've watched a lot of interviews and you said, you know, I used to be married to my music and then I started becoming married to my wife. You talk a lot about the fact that Kristen, you know, when you guys first started out, she was your business manager. You were the artist. And you guys never told anybody that you were married just to, you know, because they said, hey, we don't want to see, you know, a six foot eight chocolate getting on stage and saying, yo, yeah. I'm married. I mean, we, we're trying to sell some records. We're trying. You got I mean, let's get it on tonight. You, I, I, I want to get it on with you. And if I if I feel you're married, I don't know if that's going to translate too well. So I get the marketing spin on it. But, uh, you know, ultimately for you said, listen, when this song was released and by the way, everybody listening, if you've not heard of the song, which I highly doubt you have not it was ranked in like the top 100 impactful songs of like all time. I mean, this song is is a banger, you know. I remember I remember going to the clubs and being completely broke and this song wow. would come on and I just I just said, "Man, tonight, first of all, this is how we do it and then we're going to get it on yeah. tonight." And it just gave me that <laughs> like boost of like, you know, endorphins running through, but can you speak a little bit about what life and death means for you because you're somebody who over the years has you know consistently kind of been reborn you've repackaged yourself you've reframed yourself you've constantly innovated who montel jordan is and just kind of seeing where you've came and progressed just as a human being um you said hey when this is how we do it was rocking it was the best time of my life and also the worst time of my life and i just think mm-hmm. from an artist's perspective to say that I guess if you could just shed some light to the audiences, what does that mean for you? And what does life and death kind of mean for you at this point? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, Here's how I would respond to that. Um, You don't have to be famous to have experienced a lot of what I went through. Uh, What I went through was um, I was existing and was not living. Um, and when you are existing, that simply means that you are comfortable um, with a counterfeit lifestyle, mm. meaning you're comfortable with debt, you're com- comfortable driving things that you don't own and living in things that you don't own, uh, living in a system of perpetual servitude to whatever, whether it's your job, whether it's your occupation, whether it's your title, your career, whatever you are slave to, uh, those are the things that that I had succumbed to and thought that defined who I was as a person. And so I was never really living. I was existing in a place of whatever those titles said that I was. What the challenge was with that was that if I ceased to be what that title says I was, then did I cease to exist? So if you're a number one recording artist and then you're not number one anymore, does that mean you don't exist anymore? If you're a millionaire and then you you fall off and you're not making the type of money that you used to make, do you cease to exist? Mm. Um, I basically allowed music to define who I was and so, Life and death for me was literally life only dependent on if someone else determined that I was alive. Uh, And when that other person or that other entity or that title determined that I was dead, 
Then I no longer existed. Oh, Montel, he fell off. Oh, Montel, he's a one-hit wonder. Oh, Montel, this. And so I allowed external things to define who I was. And literally, my journey to go from uh, from death to life again was that when the world had kind of written me off, when music, uh, when I realized that music was... The best way I can say it, Ryan, is, and I, I think I've said it before, is that uh, I was in an abusive relationship with music mm-hmm. because I loved something that couldn't love me back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anytime any of us are in a relationship loving something or someone that can't love us back or that won't love us back, that's abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care if it's a physical relationship, a mental spirit, whatever that is. And music could never love me back. My wife can love me back. My children could love me back. My church could love me back. My friends could love me back. Music could never love me back. And so when I finally stepped out of that abusive relationship, which to me was going from death to life, because I found out that outside of music, I live. Outside of me ever picking up a microphone again, I'm still a husband and I'm still a father and I'm still a friend and I'm still a giver and I'm still a lover. I'm still all these things without music and without fame and without social media present. I'm all of those things. And so literally going from death to life for me, really modern day Lazarus, uh, what that was for me was realizing that um, music doesn't make me, I make music. Mm. And so coming to that realization for me, is hopefully a realization I'm hoping that other people come to in their lives because you work at a bar and you serve drinks uh, that doesn't make you a bartender. Mm. And that's hard for some people to pick up. You know what I mean? Bartending is what you do, but bartending isn't who you are. And and so what defines who you are, it's who you are that defines what you do. And so for me, that was my take on life and death. But you know what, Montel? Here's the thing that's really interesting. It's a famous saying. It says, turn your mess into your message. You know, and you've mm-hmm. turned a mess into a message. I mean, you and Kristen talk about marriage, and you have your, your book, The Masterpiece, or the album. And uh, it's interesting because you said, just because you're a bartender doesn't mean that's your identity. That's not the full expression of who you are. But we were programmed as kids from the time we enter into grade school. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I, I can't speak for the United States, but I can speak for Canada. And as soon as we get to grade 12, the pressure is you better get good grades because you need to go to that course book in university or college and pick something that was for you. I know you picked communications as a minor and you were going to be a lawyer. You were going to go to law and that was kind of your plan. I think you call it your plan A, um, <laughs> which is interesting because everybody says it's a plan B. I'm like, you're like, no, no, that was actually my plan A, which means that was my plan. So this other thing yeah. kind of came around. But you know, now you have grown adults that are sitting there, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're plumbers, electricians, whatever they do. And they're like, I don't even know if I really want to do this for my life. I did it because mom and dad pushed me to do it. I did it because I was surviving at the time. And maybe I came from a broken family and I need to get a job that could pay me some money. And the world is now kind of came full circle. And I kind of look at this COVID-19 and everything where, holy, look what happened, right? The world got blown up. And people are now, and what I and, and, and I like to say, there's the glass is always half full in my world because for the first time ever, you're seeing society as a whole actually look internally and do a lot of self reflection. And I think when that happens, I think good things happen for humanity. 
So for you, what do you say to the person that says, well, Montel, man, this is, I mean, I went to school. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education and I'm sitting here. I got kids. <laughs> I got a family. I've been working this career for a decade and I'm miserable because I don't even want to do this. I don't want to be a doctor. I want to go be a carpenter because I like doing wood every day. What do you say to that person? How do you, and I know you're a pastor now, so I mean, you, you hear all kinds of stories, but how do you, I guess, empathize in a way that's useful and tactful to them? Yeah, well, once again, I, I am I am not averse to people working hard to be and to reach uh, goals uh, to be productive citizens of society. I think it's important for us to have doctors. I think it's important for us to have people that are in the medical profession or whatever profession uh, that they are in. Uh, I don't think it's healthy for that profession to define who they are as people. In other words, uh, if there is a man or a woman who feels they have to be a doctor above being a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a friend, uh, I think that becomes the challenge uh, whenever someone has to place a profession uh, or a title above who who they actually are. And, and I don't have a better way to say it, Ron, is that what you do uh, is not who you are. Yes. Who you are defines what you do. And so I like to look at my doctors, the people who I go to, um, I want them to be healthy husbands and healthy wives and healthy parents. Uh, and, and healthy givers and people who love God because you can serve me better as a doctor when you got those other areas of your life of who you know who you are and doctoring is what you do then. Uh, and so uh, I would never you know want anybody to try and switch up you know to do uh, to do a, a, a whole different profession unless you felt like God was leading you you know to do that. I was led to do that. Uh, but even in that, I would say this, um, I had to lay down my titles and lay down my profession because uh, I made those things my God. I made them into idols. So from that standpoint, I had to know who I was without that gifting of what I was doing. Uh, and once I found out who I was, then I could pick that gift back up and I can do music again. I can tour the world again. I can write songs, I can record because those things I control, they don't control me. A lot of times, Ryan, people have said uh, that the thing you are holding on so tightly to, if you finally got the courage to let it go, you would probably find out that it was actually holding on to you all along. Oh, it's so, it's so true. I watched this interview. I might be paraphrasing what you're saying, but I, I love that you basically were talking about the fact that you know, now that you're a pastor, you know, Christianity, you said it's interesting because I've had some fellow pastors and people in the Christian community kind of say, what are, you, what are you putting out albums? You're a recording artist, too. And, you know, kind of kind of insinuating like, well, you're a pastor now. Be a pastor. And you're kind of saying, well, I don't have to just pick one thing. <laughs> I like music. Right. It's not you never said you dislike music. You love music, but you're doing music on a different in a different context with different variables. It's interesting how you you left music, you go to pastoring, and you do a full circle coming back to music, but you your relationship with music now is so healthy because it's based on kind of fruitful things that you said, well, this is what I want to put into the music, which is a lot of gospel and whatnot. How does somebody 
not get stuck? Like for you, how did you not get stuck saying, man, I did, this is how we do it. The world just knows me for it. You're a communications guy. I'm a marketing guy. I'm an entrepreneur. It is so hard to rebrand. Like once somebody yeah. says, Montel, you're, you're a music artist. To come back, first of all, it costs money. It costs time. And it's like people just, they, they, they were, we always want to label. People are very big on boxing in. You're, 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 yeah. you're a musician. How for you did you come out of that and say, I don't care what somebody says. Like, I am going to go where my heart is going to go. And if I keep hearing about this is how we do it, which you have, which is great. Why wouldn't you want to hear that? There's got to be some royalty yeah. checks coming in off that too. So, I mean, come on. It's Amen. not like it's a bad thing. <laughs> Amen. How, Amen. How, how, how would you advise somebody listening? Because we get a lot of listeners like Ryan. How do I get unstuck? I feel stuck. How can I, how can I release the shackles, so to speak? Yeah, well, here's a couple of thoughts, and, and these are hopefully my thoughts aren't too random here. But when you started talking about being placed in a box, be random, you know, Montel. Be random. We want random here. Okay. Curiosities are mandate, awesome. brother. You speak. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Um, I, I was just thinking as you were talking, uh, Ryan, and uh, Jesus himself um, did a lot of different things, but some people just want him to be one thing. Mm. Um, and, and so some people just want him to be savior because I don't want to go to hell be savior, but they don't want him to be Lord because Lord means I have to follow your direction. Uh, there's a story where Jesus turns water into wine. Mm. Um, so that means at some point Jesus actually ran a distillery, mm. uh, a kind of a, a, a brewing, if you will. <laughs> uh, Jesus uh, multiplied fish, he fed people. So basically he had almost a restaurant and he focused on distribution. Uh, he was out on the boat with fishing people. He went and he had parties at people's home. Like he did a lot of things that encompass who he was as savior. Uh, he was friend, he was traveler, he was healer. He was a lot of different things. So from that standpoint, uh, when people try and box us into one place, um, the only way to get unstuck is you have to come out of that box. You have to come out of uh, not just who people say you are, you have to come out of who you say you are mm. and you have to determine who does God say you are. Mm. Uh, because if I am now taking his definition of who he says I am, um, then I'm no longer functioning uh, in just what I'm gifted to do, but I'm functioning in what I'm purposed to do. Mm. You know, in, in church terms, they call it a calling. What's your, what's your calling? Mm. Um, or what do you, what do you purpose to do? Well, I am purposed uh, to minister to people, but how do I function in that purpose or in that calling? Well, he's gifted me to speak as an orator. He's given me to uh, to write as an author. Yeah. He's given me to sing as a musician. He's given me a songwriting gift to speak so that other people can speak words uh, that I've written. He's given me all these different gifts. And for someone to say, you are this is how we do it, uh, is a very, very narrow view of who yes. uh, and what I am. So me becoming unstuck was literally coming out of being defined by someone else's uh, definition of, of who I am. And that's a tough thing to do because people would say to me, you know, this is how we do it comes out. It's my first record. It's the number one record. It's my biggest record. Um, you know, okay, Montel, what are you going to do next now that you got the number one record? Okay, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and, and do some other things. 
uh, I go and I drop a record, something for the honeys. It's a gold record. It's on the same album. Uh, sells 500,000 copies. Oh, but it's not as big as this is how we do it. Okay, so I go and drop another album. Uh, the first single is um, I Like, featuring uh, Slick Rick. It's on the Nutty Professor soundtrack. I'm a, yeah, Nutty Professor soundtrack. Nutty Professor soundtrack sells a million copies. Uh, single is a top 10 record and it goes gold. And what do they say? Oh, it's not as big as this is how we do it. Okay, so you drop a record, Let's Ride, uh, Master P, uh, a number one record. Yeah, but it's not as big as this is how we do it. Okay, you drop another album, Get It On Tonight, yeah. number one record. Yeah, but it's not as big as this is how we do it. You drop a record for Deborah Cox, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here, number one record. Yeah, but it's not as big as this is how we do it. Uh, number one record for Cisco, Incomplete. Yeah, but it's not as... So at some point, it's like, I'm never going to please you. Yeah. What what you think is is the biggest thing for me was the first thing for me. And although I have other number one records and other things that have been contributions of my gift, um, if you can't see beyond what you see, I can't be confined into your limited vision. That'll preach right there. Uh, if, if you can't see beyond what you can see, I cannot be confined to your limited vision of, of who I am. And I would say that to your listeners out there, the people that listen to your podcast. Uh, if people have a limited vision of who you are and what you can do, the only way you can break out of that is to break out of that and show yes. them whether they get it or not. You have to show them that even though this is what you see, um, that just shows that you got limited and impaired vision. It doesn't mean it's accurate. Well, it's a few things here to unpack. You're saying it basically, um, first of all, you know, don't be smaller because somebody else can't be bigger, number one. Number two mm -hmm. is, you know, sometimes you got to go left before you get right. Tim Story says that. I really love that saying. Sometimes you got to go left mm -hmm. before you get right. And it's interesting, right? Yeah. But you're also saying that you have to control your own narrative and you need to take control of that. And I, I hear a lot of people who have had success, who have, you know, went bankrupt, had success, went bankrupt. But they said, Ryan, you got to control your own narrative because if other people are out there saying, hey, you, you know, you're a marketer or Montel, you're a, you're an artist. You're so much more than that. Right. And a lot of people, they're they're sitting on the armchair and they're doing the criticizing, which we call armchair critics. Right. But I said, yo, man, you got to get you got to put on some shorts and get in the game and, and get a, a, get a few knocks here. For you, how does like, you, where does the confidence in you? Did you, your upbringing as a child? Did you have a really great home? Like, where was this confidence about you? You've always had this swag. You like your fashion. You got your baby cool. I'm wearing my 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 colorway rainbow Air Max ones on my feet right now. I mean, I just my my business card is a sock. There's certain things that I'm just like, this is an expression of who I am, and I and I like to have fun yeah. with it. Where did you get this this just confidence about you? Like I, I watch, I, I like to study brains. For me, one of my biggest gifts and superpowers is just really trying to understand how somebody is. I look at tonality, I look at what they wear, I hear the words, but most of all, I look at what they're not saying. Two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? But yeah. where did you get that confidence, that innate just boom? Even when you're at your weakest, I can tell you're somebody that's like, all right, I'm down, but I'm I'm a comeback. I'm coming up. I, I ain't quitting. Like you don't quit. You never quit. It's not even in your yeah. in your DNA to quit. Like I I can tell that. Yeah. You don't quit. Confidence. No, 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 no. 
Oh um, no. Con- <laughs> confidence is a is a an, an interesting it's an interesting thing of where of where that comes from. Um, I, I think there is a difference in uh, self confidence um, based on who you have inside of you. Mm. So I know a lot of people that have a lot of self-confidence, but it's based on them um, belittling others to make themselves greater. Mm. Um, To me, I have a confidence that I become even more confident if I'm able to build other people up. Mm. Just because I realize that um, my uncle used to say, my uncle has some really, really bad sayings, but he's got some good ones too, my Uncle Sam. Uh, my uncle Sometimes the bad say, ones are good though. Sometimes the bad ones are the no, good ones though. <laughs> You're like, that's really terrible, not. but I like it. <laughs> my uncle, man, he's, he's got some bad sayings. Um, stuff that doesn't make sense. Like one of the things he would say to me, this is a bad one, he would say, uh, he called me Mon. Uh, he'd say, Mon, I'm skinning this cat. All you gotta do is hold hold his tail and try not to get no fur in your mouth. <laughs> You're like, what the huh? heck? Basically, you'd be saying, I'm in control, but his way of saying it is, I'm skinning this cat. All you gotta do is hold his tail and try not to get no fur in your mouth. That makes no sense to me, but that wasn't the saying I was I was talking about. Uh, the saying my uncle would always uh, say to me, hold on, I don't wanna lose my train of thought because I start thinking about cats now and I, I never think about cats. Um, Come on, come on, come on, come on back, Montel. I hope I didn't lose lose my train of thought. My uncle said so many things. Um, what the topic we were on? Help me out here. Sorry, no, no, sorry, we were, podcast no, no. people. No, man, it's all good. No, we were just talking about that inner confidence, that self confidence that's based on. For you, you said I get more confident when I pour there into other is. people's glass. Got you. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yeah, my uncle. My uncle would say to me. Uh, he would say, "Mon, uh, I taught you everything you know." But I didn't teach you everything I know. Oh. And so from that standpoint, that was his once again saying, I like that. Everything you got, you got from me, but I didn't give you everything I got. And when I think about that, uh, a a statement like that, the leaders that I poured into, uh, uh, the mentorship, the, the pastoring, the loving into growing, uh, leaders and not just uh, uh, having followers, but building leaders who lead other people and empowering them to be able to go and to lead. Um, those people can lead, but not all of them can do what I've done to empower other people mm. to lead. It's kind of the, I've, I've tried to be more of a Moses than a Joshua. And here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, Moses built a Joshua. Mm. Joshua didn't build a somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was Moses was able to pass a torch of an entire generation of people to walk into a promised land. Joshua took those people into the promised land, but he didn't have a successor. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of my goal, part of my mission and job is to make sure that I'm building successors. And my confidence comes in that I'm not afraid to give you what I have because it makes me obsolete. I love to give you what I have because I realize nobody can give you everything 
like I can give it to you. Absolutely. And so I make myself invaluable rather than being obsolete by me giving where some people think if I give this away, then my job will be over and then I have no more purpose. Well, some so my swag can, comes from that. Well, some people, can buy, comes from that. some people can buy Versace Montel, but it don't mean they look good in there, right? Right? That's right. You, know, you, you can That's rock right. a $4 t-shirt, man. You can make that thing look, you're like, yo, I can make this thing bounce, right? That's right. That's <laughs> you see right. somebody coming out of the, so, the designer yeah. store. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, man. So confidence, I think confidence and swagger uh, comes from, um, I think it comes from having identity. You know, I, I think if you know who you are and whose you are, uh, you have more of a swagger that when you walk into a place, uh, you have, uh, I saw a, a meme the other day where there's this uh, little tiger or a little lion, a, a lion cub, uh, just beautiful little face of a lion cub. And he looks super, super confident. But behind that cub is a lion, the big face of the lion. And so the, the little cub can't even see the, the big lion behind him. And the little cub just has all this fierceness, not recognizing you can be that fierce because there's a big lion behind you. And when people see you, they're not seeing the little cub. They're seeing the lion that's behind you. And I feel that way about God, yeah. that when people see me, I don't need them just to see me. I need them to see the God that's in me, the God that's mm-hmm. that's covering me. And I think that allows people also to see a confidence and a swagger that, you know, I don't have to try and, you know, I, yeah, I love, I love Bentleys. You know, they're beautiful cars. I don't drive a Bentley. You know what I'm saying? I drive a, a 2013 Denali or whatever. And so, but I drive my my, my Denali with swag. You know what I mean? My, my wife drives a Prius. You know, a 2015 Prius. I hop in the Prius and I ride. Montel Jordan, you sold all these records. You sold millions. You platinum. You did this and that. Why are you driving a Prius? Because I because I, I push a Prius and I make a Prius sexy because yes. of the what's behind my Prius. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I don't need the things to define, once again, who I am. I define those things, and I make them fly, and I make them confident. It's funny you bring up cars, because I'll tell you a funny story about my wife. I think it was the, technically, I called our first date wasn't a date. It was a meeting, because I was like, no, no, we're not committed here. I'm just going to, we're going to get together. She's like, isn't that kind of a date? I said, no, no, it's a meeting. She's like, well, is this a business a transaction? Me- I, <laughs> I said, no, but... <laughs> Anyway, I, I literally said, okay, like, when can you meet? She's like, well, I'm busy this day, this day, this day. I said, okay, when's your lunch hour at work? You know you're hustling, right? When's your lunch hour at work? So drive over to the work spot, comes out really quick, and uh, I pull up, and she's like, she didn't really, she never seen kind of a full body, so she, the way I was sitting in the car, because I kind of like to scoot back in the truck. I like to scoot back a little bit. I don't drive up to the steering wheel, you know what I mean? And she's, and, uh-huh. and I, I, remember, she, I remember she literally said, are you sure? And I'm not sure. <laughs> so I get on the vehicle. I said, well, come around. Come sit in the vehicle. And she sits in the passenger side. I said, do you want a mint? So I'm, I am I got this from this older gentleman that I met as a child. He always used to keep these grandpa mints. I call them grandpa scotch mints in the console of his car. I always got mm-hmm. lotion, a little bottle of cologne, and some mints. I've been that way since I got my driver's license. She pulls up her foot on the seat. Nice feet. I'm a big foot dude. And I said, y- your Come heels on. are really dry right now. And she's, oh, she, wow. said, well, she said, well, do you have any lotion? I said, yes, I do. So I pull up the <laughs> old school tub out the console. 
And then she's she's literally, and, and I knew she's not gonna be my wife the moment she took the lotion, put it in her hand, and started rubbing her feet like nothing happened. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. Wow. Just to have that you know succinctness about it, right? So kind of going back to you, some people can do certain things in a certain way, but others can't do that. And for you yeah. to have that presence of mind. I think is what really separates you because I feel like when you engage with people or talk to people, especially, I, I kind of look at more like I know you from the performer aspect, of course, but I think lots of people ask very kind of mundane everyday questions about that, that you get asked a million times. For me, I always try to kind of go a little step further and say, what's what's in the mind and soul of this person who was there and then kind of came out from there. And that's where the confidence thing is, is so huge. Uh, you have four kids. My numbers might be wrong, but they're roughly seven to thirty-one years old. I don't know if it could be give or take a couple of years. How old are your kids yeah, now? 30. My, my oldest son is thirty-two. My oldest daughter is twenty-four. She's going to get married next year. She just got engaged. Yeah. My oldest son is uh, my middle son is sixteen. He's a senior in high school now, and my youngest daughter is eight, and she entered the third grade. And I also have two grandkids now. I have a uh, two-year-old grandson, two and a half, and I have a six-month-old grandson. Cruise and cash. Congrats! That that sliding scale of age has to keep you uh, on point and young and fresh. Like when I, you got somebody from grade three, you got a child that's in grade three all the way into to call it. Like your your brain has to stay sharp. I would imagine you and your wife's brain because. My God, you can't get stale with that. Like you got different, you, you know, <laughs> actuations of life. You are, Ryan, you are a better businessman than me. I'm not the negotiator in our home. It takes me seven to eight years to get a deal done. All my <laughs> kids are seven to eight years apart. Now I get the deal done, but it takes me about seven to eight years uh, between kids to get it done. And I believe we're done now. So you're, you're you know. done. What is being a father for you? I, I have a, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a one-year-old, my, my son Dejan and then my daughter Talia. And, I mean, becoming a father, oh, my. And always, always my dream. I grew up with a single mom. I never had a father in my life. So, for me, to this day, when people say, Ryan, what is the number one thing in life you've tried at? I've never tried harder at being a father. Like, when it all, the dust settles, that's the one thing in my life. I'm like, I, I just try, like, I give it all, you know, and and I, I'm kind of yeah. at peace with I gave it all. For you, how has becoming a father and being a father over the years, has that impacted you on a professional, personal level? Has it challenged you? Was there any moments where you kind of had doubt and said, man, don't mess this up, Montel. Don't mess this up. This is, this is not about you anymore, per se. Being a father is the greatest gift uh, God could have ever given to me, probably next to salvation and next to my hot wife. Um, no <laughs> questions, no questions. It's salvation, Amen. hot wife, my children. Um, I have a very, very uh, unique relationship with my kids. Uh, like you, um, I, well, similar but different. Um, I grew up with a, a dad who was not my biological dad. He was my adopted dad. So I've never known my biological father uh, to this day. Mm. Um, but I, I had an adopted dad who, who took me uh, you know, on and, and, and brought me up as, as his own. Uh, and so from that standpoint, there are some missing pieces to a puzzle that are still kind of unanswered because 
the, the great dad that my dad was, um, my dad was a hard worker. He was a provider. He was a provision. He was, I'll put the roof over your head. You know, my dad was not uh, affectionate or, you know, I don't remember as a kid being held by my dad or hugged or rocked to sleep or held hands or, t- you know, I, I, I don't remember any of that. And I, and I don't remember seeing it with any of my, my siblings, my brothers or sisters. Uh, but somehow, innately, I have been gifted the ability to, to love my kids uh, beyond, I think, what I experienced, you know, on, on my own. Uh, so even now with, a, with my 16-year-old son, who's six four, 180 pounds, runs a, a four five nine, like You see that football helmet in the back? You see that football yeah. helmet there? I come from the football. Oh, fourth! I, I run a four. I was, I was a running back. Four three forty, man, right here. Trust me. Oh, oh that's they, they call they call that's me Hot Wheels Holtz. I ain't even playing. I still get called that to this day. Four three forty. No, my son had a four five nine uh, just yesterday morning, and he's sixteen. Ooh. So that's that's a beautiful Ooh. thing. But um, my son to this day, man. Um, you know, he walks into a room, he walks up to me, he hugs me, and he kisses me on the cheek. You know, and yes. you know, love that. I'm getting, I'm kind of getting, getting teary up here on a, on a podcast. People, people but cry on this show before Montel. You can be random, you can be curious, and you can cry, brother. This show is real talk, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I'm feeling it right now, but. Um, the fact that I have a 16-year-old that feels close enough to his father that when he sees me, he greets me with a kiss, mm. um, that's a powerful thing about fatherhood that I don't remember having, but I do uh, want to make sure that he has that and that we have that so that it's something that he can pass on you know, to his family someday. And so mm. I just think fathering is... Uh, the closest thing we get to experience what it is that God's love is for us. Mm. You know, there's nothing that my sons or daughters can do that would cause me to stop loving them. Nothing that would make me love them any more or love them any less because I just love them. Mm. Yeah, do I get disappointed sometimes? Yeah. Or do I get frustrated sometimes? Hell yeah. But it doesn't make me love them uh, any more or less. And so I think when I get how I feel about my kids, that is nothing, nothing, nothing they could do that would cause me to turn away from them, then I get a better and more broader and more deeper understanding of the God that we serve uh, and the father that he is uh, to me. So yeah, fathering is a very, very big deal for me. Bigger, bigger, and outside of my salvation and outside of my wife, it is above my career. It's above ministry for me. Fathering and parenting is right there, third on the on the top ten list. Well, this is this is interesting because you know masculinity is really sold. You know, I think the world's kind of getting a little change on that. We got a long way to go, though. We got a long way to go when it comes to masculinity. Uh, it seems that yeah. uh, men and you know, to be strong is not to be emotional. I I never subscribed to that. I was the guy that would play football and then I put my helmet down and I go do choral music because I can play the saxophone. So people would be my teammates would be like, I played Bro. saxophone for eight. Yeah, 
Alto, Alto, Alto Sax. Yeah, Alto Sax. And uh, my friends always would be like, Ryan, how are you? How are you smashing heads as a running back, and then you're you're rocking into band camp? And I said that that's just me, you know. And I've always been in touch with my emotion. It, it, it makes me so happy for you to uh, to say that. I think that more people with a platform, especially guy, more on the guy side, I, and I, because I feel there's still a lot of guys out there that are preaching this this non-emotional thing. To be honest with you, and I I I, the, I, I can tell when somebody's confident the moment they can be vulnerable with me. Because if mm-hmm. you know, to me, the ultimate confidence is, is vulnerability, right? It's 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 expressing your your yeah. true self on purpose, and you know, for you to say, "Hey, my sixteen year old son's coming to kiss me on my cheek," my son Dejan, I mean, he's like, "Dad, you got to get like stop slobbering on me, like stop kissing me," you know, he just as a fun, but you know, constantly running in the arms, and you know, we sit down every night before bed, and I said, you know, what's our family mantra, and our one one our two points, one 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 portion of it is, I said, Dejan. Do we bully people? He says, no, no, daddy. I said, do we get bullied? No, daddy. And I'm, it's, it's like a, you know, you give your kids love, but you also want them to be strong at the same time. But that story is beautiful, man. To have a 16 year old come in and kiss you on your cheek. You're doing something right. (laughs) You're doing something right. And let me me say this, man. And this, hopefully this is not controversial, uh, but I I just want to kind of speak from my heart. Um, I, I am... You know, a lot of men don't know when they became men. Um, in other words, um, I don't remember for me a defining moment. And a lot of men don't know the defining moment of where they became men. You know, was it when you had sex for the first time? Did you, was that when you became a man? When you moved out of the house? Or when you got your first car? Or when you got in your first fight? Like what What defined you, you know what I'm saying, as, as a man? Uh, and one of the things that, that we did for my son when he turned 13 years old is we had a black mitzvah for him. <laughs> I like um, that. I like that. I yeah, that. like mitzvah. for real. Like, like, like we, we had taken, we had taken uh, from, the, from the Jewish culture, from the Hebrew culture of bar mitzvah of when they turned 13, they become men. And we did a black mitzvah for my son. Uh, and we, we spent money. We, we invited friends. We had an uh, elaborate meal. We had a bunch of different things uh, uh, and brought all his family, friends. People had a real big gathering at his home um, when he turned 13. And during that time, uh, his pastor, uh, his youth pastor spoke over his life. A football coach spoke over his life. His grandfather spoke over his life. Uh, his mother spoke over his life. And all these areas of my son's life, they spoke into him. And then lastly, I as a father, I came in front of all his friends, all his all his peers, everybody. And I told them that when Jesus got baptized, before he had done any miracles, uh, one of the first things he did was he, he showed up and he was getting baptized. And when he got baptized, God shows up, opens up the sky and says in a voice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, which technically doesn't make sense because he didn't heal anybody yet. He didn't raise anybody from the dead yet. He hadn't turned water into wine yet. He had done no miracles yet. And yet God said, this is my son and I'm well pleased. Meaning if you don't do anything else, just recognizing that you are a son and that I'm your father is well-pleasing to me. 
And so I spoke that over my son into everybody that was there. And I said, hey, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And when I did that, I wasn't saying this is my daughter. I wasn't saying this isn't someone that is gender fluid. This isn't someone. And like I said, I know this is controversial, but what I'm saying here is that I spoke identity from a father into a son that wasn't even spoken over me, that probably wasn't spoken over you. I spoke identity into my son so that he can make all the choices he wants to make in his life. But he still is always going to know who he is because his father told him who he was. The same way God said to everybody, this is my son. I said to everybody, this is my son. And from that standpoint, I've equipped my son at 13 to know, yeah, not, uh, you know, not every every kid mostly is born male or female. But just because you're born male doesn't make you a man. Just because you're born female doesn't make you a woman. It takes a man to be able to help a man determine when he's reached manhood. And so I just felt like I was supposed to say that because for two guys that were fatherless, pretty much, that are now yeah. raising sons, raising daughters, yeah. it's important because if you don't know who you are, and I'm talking to somebody out there, if you don't know who you are, there are thousands of people out there ready to, 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 to tell you who, who they think you are. You got to know who you are. And so I think we've done a service to our children by letting them know who they are in Christ and who they are to us as sons and daughters. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And as your uncle said, you know, I taught you everything, you know, but all, not all that I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but That's what right. you're saying is beautiful because it, it is, man. It's, uh, it's a conversation that's uh, so underserved, you know, when, even when we look at, you know, um, you know all the hashtags like me too and and mom and and mom boss and girl boss and all these things and I have conversations with with women and and guys about this all the time even my wife and she said you know you know Ryan as a woman who's who's you know running a business and doing all that too you know the dads are so underserved the good dads that are you know pushing out there and she said why do you think that is I said to be honest with you I said I think it's uh, partially uh, the dad's fault because we don't talk about it enough. You know, just the mere fact of communicating how we feel, you know. I did a video uh, on YouTube. I said, you know, five tips for new dads. Just straight up simple tips, you know. There's a great YouTube channel. Shout out to this YouTube channel if everybody wants to know. It's called The Fatherless Father. And it's just this guy who's this trades guy in the United States. And he teaches things like how to tie a tie, how to make a fence. And the channel blew up five million subscribers in a week. And it was titled wow. "The Fatherless Father," and I'm just going through these things. He's he, he's not great on the camera, the the video editing's terrible, but he's giving great content. Cause I I learned how to tie my first tie on YouTube, literally a step by step instruction guide. And it's those little things for me that you know I'll never forget. And and I think sometimes, and I don't know, maybe you're different, but there was some moments of, you know, I remember playing football and sports and all that, and I said man, I would love to have a dad to throw the ball around with me right now. You know, man, I would love to have my dad whoop my butt because I'm not doing the cone drill or the ladder drill properly. You know, just a dad that, you know, woke me up and said, yo, man, it's 5 a.m. We got to go do the workout. Like, let's go. You know, and and my, you know, some of my yeah. friends would come in. I can't stand my dad. Why can't you stand your dad? He's always on me. I said, yo, go home, kiss your father, 
and say thank you for actually caring. You know? Yeah. And 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 now yeah. as a now as a father myself, I mean it's I I pour all that what I didn't have and I poured that back into myself and and now I pour it into my son, you know? And it's interesting cuz you're proud of this too and I know but you're 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 breaking a cycle. You know, you broke the cycle, right? You're yeah. you're you're actually pushing out some great human beings that are going to become fathers, you know, one day. I'm, I'm assuming one of them already has, right? Maybe, right? So yeah, you're, my you're oldest, pot- yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's got to be a good feeling, man. You're ra- you you raise you're raising another dad. He's got a he's got a child. You know, it, it's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, thank you is. for sharing that. Anthem of '90s. So this is how we do it. How do you how do you think about this this track now? Honestly, I know it pays you some royalties. You said in another interview, you started laughing. You're like, hey, man, I'll never hate on that song. That song is great. You know, I'm paying for college educations. I got I got bills and I, I need help. Um, but what does that track mean to you to this day? And I know everybody's like this and everybody comes on. They're fun about it and all that. But, dude, this was it's still to this day. That track comes on and you're just like there. It's timeless. You know, you just feel so good about it. How do you feel about being behind that man? Like you, it's millions of people that that song has impacted, and I have yeah. yet to meet somebody that's like Ryan. I heard this song and it made me feel terrible. I was doing terrible things. First off, if you're trying to date and you're trying to get a girl, this is how we do it. <laughs> gets the party started, and then let's get it on tonight. Hopefully, if you listen to Montel's it's words funny. of advice. You know, takes it to where you maybe want to go. <laughs> That's on you. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, uh, so how, how I feel about this is how we do it. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of, of history. Like you said, that I think Billboard or some magazine somewhere said it's one of the, the top 100 party anthems of like the last, de- uh, last century, last hundred years or something. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I love the record because I got to work. Eventually, it led me to work and partner with one of my musical mentors, Slick Rick. Uh, him and his wife, Mandy, are our friends. Uh, and I love the fact that because I took his hit and we created a classic from it, both of our records children's story which is the original sample that's in this is how we do it and this is how we do it have allowed our lives to intersect to where now i got friendship with the guy that i look to you know i wanted to be to to uh to distinguish myself from the other r&b singers out there i took a more hip-hop approach to my delivery in music that was based on slick rick so he became my musical mentor before i even met him that my R&B stylings came from a hip hop rapper and there were a lot of rappers out there, but Slick Rick to me was musical in his delivery and so he became my guy. So I I love the record to this day. I I sing the record exactly like the original record because I believe a lot of times artists get tired of their songs and so they start improvising and changing it and flipping it around. I hate that. I hate that. The biggest compliment that I ever get from people is, yo, you sound just like the record. Thank you. That's all I need because you love the record the way it was recorded. You appreciated it. You're singing along with me, so I don't need to do no different. (laughs) Let me give it to you just the way you remember it so we can sing it together. 
uh, and be able to allow history Mont- to... Montel, uh, you know what? Sorry, sorry to interject, but you seem like... To me, I, I when I look at you, I used to have this friend and I used to say, bro, when you get older, you're a great guy. I love you. But I can see where you could be that crutchety, stuck-in-your-way, older black guy that's like, I ain't doing this any other way but the way I've always been doing it. Because... I think I heard what you said about the kids. You said, listen, Ryan, it, it took me seven to eight years. You know, it takes me seven to eight years to get a deal done because it seems like <laughs> yeah. you like to do it in a certain way, you know, and you'll you'll be creative. But you're like, no, no, no. I want the same. If, if you got a certain meal that you like, don't improvise. I like the spice. I like the way it's cooked. I like this. You know, I just feel like you're that kind of guy. It's like, don't 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 mess with something if it's not broken, so to speak. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And I like change. You know, I'm saying I'm down for change, but I'm down for change and stuff that that doesn't work. You know what I mean? So it's like I make barbecue sauce from scratch, you know, and there's a formula that comes to it. If I'm trying to improvise and change the formula, I don't have a formula anymore. I've got experiments and I'm not about experimenting with what I know works. And so but this is how we do it. I know that it works. I can experiment with other things, but that thing works as is 20 something years later. And so I want to give people what they have grown to love that works, whether it's that, whether it's my barbecue sauce, no matter what that is, uh, especially when people, uh, music is the soundtrack to our lives, man. And so, you know, every good memory you have in your life probably has a song attached. Every traumatic thing in your life probably has a song attached. And so when I go back to those moments, I like to be able to, remember those moments in the way that that they're soundtracked into my life as opposed to somebody trying to sing it or twist it just because they're tired of singing it the same way if i ever want to wake me. up if i ever want to wake up in the morning and cry there's one song that my mom passed away when i was 13 years old so for me i became a man at november 10 1997 as a 13-year-old boy because i had nobody but mm-hmm. uh, puff daddy i'll be missing you came out mm-hmm. i'll never forget driving to the funeral and we there was cassette tapes back then and you had the little fold out yeah. thing with the thing and i put this tape on i don't even know who bought it I, we're just sitting in the car and all of a sudden the song came out and i think it was dedicated to big at the time and uh mm-hmm. forget that song and years later man that one song somebody's like ryan what song would represent the most pain in your life boom like quick don't even have to think that i could recite the song to you i can remember on a certain verse of what I was feeling, you know, and you're right to have that kind of impact from artistry is, is amazing. That being said, Kristen is your business manager. So she gives you structure. I would imagine because she seems very structured in all kinds of ways, personally, professionally, probably Uh, as an artist, how important is systems for you? Because when we talk about artistry, I like to say from the marketing perspective, a starving artist wasn't broke because their art sucked. It's because nobody knew about it. And that's where some of the marketing and the communication comes from. It's kind of like having two business partners. If one's really good with the business, getting new business marketing, business development, blah, blah, blah. And then you got the artist who's just amazing at the actual product. If they get along, it could be a good business if they get along, right? For you, how big is systems in your life to have the most maximum output emotionally, you know, financially, personally, professionally, just to feel like I'm on my A game, but I got to be organized about being on my A game. Uh, Because look, you're doing something like this right now. You know, I always say, be the master of your calendar. Who you give your time to is extremely important. 
because you only have so sure. much time to give. And in my opinion, there's no better compliment or respect you could give to somebody than your time. Yeah. So I appreciate you well, for I, that, by the way. Thank you. And that's a great question. Uh, it's something that currently I am not the best at, and I'm, I'm being transparent. Uh, my wife and I, she, she managed my entire career. Uh, we currently, in January, we went into full-time ministry together. We put together a 501c3 called Marriage Masterpiece, uh, peace spelled P-E-A-C-E. Uh, and we had ventured out that we were going to teach and speak and do a, a marriage academy and do a bunch of different things um, that we've been doing marriage ministry together, speaking together, teaching together for a couple of years, wrote a book. Uh, and so we were preparing to go out on tour and to do some things, date nights, boot camps, you know, bringing marriages together. And then Auntie Rona shows up and kind of shuts everything down all over the world. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, she had this within this past year or two has become less of a business manager and become more of a business partner. Oh. And with that, a lot of times the calendar can kind of start to not have control because when the world shut down, it was easier for us to say, okay, on Tuesday, we're going to be here. We fly out on Friday. I got this here. We get yeah. back on Saturday. It was easier to do that. Now I get IGs, Instagram DMs every day saying, hey, I do this podcast. I do this show. Hey, yeah. when can you do this? When can and it's now like oh, I'd yeah. have to set up my life to do five podcasts on this day and three yeah. interviews on this day because nobody yeah. can go anywhere yeah. you know, freely like we used to. So with that being said, systems are extremely uh, important to me. Um, I try not to value systems over relationships mm. simply because um, I would rather allow a system to break than I would a relationship. And so when I saw even you uh, that had reached out and we, we started connecting, um, there was a piece of me that was like, one, Holy Spirit just kind of like, okay, this is something we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, because we got a lot of them, but I felt like we're yes. supposed to do this. And so from that standpoint, it was a, this goes in the calendar. And I think I even said to you yes. in an email, hey, you send me a calendar invite for this? Because yes. I know me, so I suck <laughs> at that right now. Uh, but uh, Which which you, you know, never actually we, accepted, which is kind of funny. <laughs> So it, it, it so it actually it actually's accepted on mine and and that's why I sent you an email yesterday. I'm like, hey guys, you know, just want to make sure are you okay? Do you need anything? Because I didn't get any reply back. So this is you're you're speaking your truth right now. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. This is repentant, right? I am I am sorry. Forgive me, please. But uh, yeah, so that's that's not a strong suit for me as far as scheduling. It used to be. Uh, but right now we're kind of in the midst of restructuring a business. And uh, one thing you said as well is that right now distribution is so different right now. How to have a great podcast, but how to yes. get it in front of people or how to yes. have a good album and get it in, in front of people. You know, it's just, it's really, really tough to try and carve out, you know, how people get a chance to see you and know what you're doing and say, hey, that's valuable, and I didn't even know that was out there. A lot of people don't even know. I dropped the album on November 29th, 2019, a new album called Masterpiece. One of my best albums yet. Love it. And people say, what? Montel dropped the album? And that's just the world we live in right now yes. that I can post on social media. I just dropped the album. But the social media are not billboards. They're, they're timelines. And so yes. if I yes. happen to miss that one timeline, 
it's gone. And I said, yo, I told everybody about the release, but nobody, if you no. didn't catch it at that time, it's like, you gotta no. constantly, like TV commercials, show it over and over and over again. So I'm still learning that. Like for you though, even, you know, I, I mean, the best way though to, to, to have distribution is to consistently be in people's faces. So podcast, right? I'm gonna chop this episode up in 10 different video clips. And then I'm actually, every single year, I will pick a day and I'll say, today's Montel day. And I will go back and I will repost it because people, they see it, they look at it and they forget uh, a couple months later. So even for you, my suggestion is go back and repost the same posts. People don't remember them. It's, it's that consistency. Podcasting to me is extremely good for one reason, one reason only. You can passively consume. When I'm on YouTube, you can't watch an hour video. You're probably busy. But if you're working out, you could listen to this podcast. If you're driving, you could listen to this podcast. Hell, if you were lecturing your, your son because he didn't kiss you on the left cheek today, you could listen to this podcast at the same time. And podcasting yeah, yeah. Is, is, is massive that way. So for you, man, I would tell you, get a podcast going. You, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. You say, Kristen, I'm, uh, every Tuesday is podcast morning. You, you block out your morning. And you bring on Montel and friends. Look how many dudes you know. Look how many people you know, man. Yo, bro, I just want to chop it up with you for half an hour via Skype or Zoom. Yo, you're Montel, man. I mean, you're going to get views. Dude, you need help. Like, I will, yo, man, as a favor to you, no charge at all. I will give you do this, 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 do this. Done. So if, you, if you're ready, don't, you don't have to commit to me now, but you think about it, okay? <laughs> but, you know, because... Yo, like I, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not being, uh, I'm not being funny about it because you actually have a lot to say that's useful. You, you, you can pull from so many different buckets: music bu- bucket, husband bucket, uh, you know, father uh, bucket, you know, pastor bucket. You're very dynamic. I seen uh, there. I can't remember his name. Forgive me. You were, you were doing an interview. You're wearing, you're wearing some nice Air Maxes or something, but. You were sitting across from another pastor. He was a he was a white dude, and he said, "Montel, you're, you're, yeah, you're a lot you're a lot cooler than me." And I just thought I'm like, because I went into Google, and the first thing I did is Montel Jordan interviews. Time to go to work. Digital deep dive. And I went on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, there's a few. There's a few. I seen the shade. I seen the Sirius XM stuff. But the first thing I thought, man, this guy got to have his own show. Got to have your own podcast. You control it all. Anyway, you you're sitting on a diamond. When you want to actually put some pressure on it. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Never seen that. Yeah. Never seen that. I, yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, I know our time is valuable here. I'm just going to kind of, uh, you know, I just want to ask some really uh, basic questions. Uh, number one, do you have a, a, a favorite food? Is there anything that you could eat over and over and over again that you just love? Good, bad, I don't care. Tacos. Tacos. Okay. Taco All Tuesday, right. every day, baby. Okay. Oh, I like that. Papi Chulo Taco. Anything yes. you throw some guacamole in, I'm, I'm all for it. One material item that you just are like, it's uh, extremely vain, whatever, but I love it. I just love this one piece of material. If I, if, if I could only take one thing out of my house, assuming your kids and family and memories and mementos are good, don't, don't go there. But one piece, you're like, I, I, I got to go back in and get this thing. It has to come. Uh, my Fitbit watch. Oh. For whatever reason, um, my steps mean the world to me. I can't explain it because health is important. And 
if I walk out of the house and I leave my Fitbit, I don't want to walk. I would rather crawl or 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 scoot across the ground than me walk and it not be captured uh, in how many steps that I've walked in a day. I like my Fitbit too, yeah. man. I got I got it's the Fitbit Flex too. I got the Flex too right here. We can geek out on That's tech good. anytime you want, brother. Anytime you want. <laughs> I noticed stuff, that. Baby. And you will actually rock a nice watch on the other wrist. I noticed that. I'm like, this guy was rocking a Fitbit and then he's got like a nice watch. He'll do this couple hundred dollar thing. He's got your nice watch. Yeah. Well, I'm like that. And I think I've seen interviews where you don't even have the nice watch on. You just got the Fitbit. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he likes his Fitbit. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, like that. I had some young people. I had some young people tell me once, don't wear two watches. I'm like, they're not two watches. Like one is a watch, one is a Fitbit. But <laughs> apparently, that's some weird rule or some millennial rule. I don't know. But so hey, but I'm not. I'm not leaving anywhere without my Fitbit. Uh, one person uh, that you would say is, I know you mentioned Slick Rick, but one other person who had uh, one of the most impacts on you understanding who you were maybe from a different perspective when it came to you really knowing who Montel is. And I know you a lot of that work has to come from within, but is there anybody where mm-hmm. you're like, oh my goodness, the conversation or something they said, it just set me on the right path or just gave me like a aha moment? Yeah, I would say most people would not know him. He's uh, the, the pastor... Uh, the founding pastor of Victory Church in Norcross, Georgia, a gentleman named Dennis Rouse, a white guy, uh, pastored a church for 30 years uh, in the South, multicultural church with 140 nations of people in one church. Wow. Uh, and he was one of the first guys uh, who saw me and saw um, the gift of ministry in me uh, and not just the gift, the, the musical gift. He, he saw a gift of ministry in me uh, and help cultivate uh, who I am, not just as a recording artist, but who I am uh, as a teacher, as a speaker, as a man who rightly divides the word of truth. Um, I would say he's he's uh, been one of the, the best spiritual fathers uh, to me that I've ever had. And he's a white Fav- guy. Favorite perfume uh, that Kristen wears that you just love that you're like, oh my goodness, this just takes me back. Like just a memory where you're like, oh my goodness. This is amazing. I, you know that that one perfume. You're just like I could smell it all day. That like it'll take you out of a bad mood. It's so good. I'm trying to think of what I like. I see the Woo! bottle. I don't even know what the name of it is. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a message. I I have to get this part to Kristen as an exer. I said your man don't know yeah, your perfume that's, yet. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fail because she she has a yeah she but she's uh. You know, honestly, even just natural woman smell, she hop out the shower and I'm good with that right there. <laughs> uh, but uh, come on, you're about to make me go upstairs and find it. No, 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 uh, no. It's all good. Is there anything quirky or weird or just, you know, for me, I got a thing with feet. I can't I can't talk to somebody like that doesn't I'm judgmental, man. And I hate to say that about feet. I will. I love every human being. But if you try to give me excuses on why your toes look like grenades, I, I just can't deal with you. I don't even care if it's personal, professional. I can't be in the same space. I'll tell you to wear socks. Don't do it. Don't And don't wear flip-flops. Like, I can't do it. Yeah. I'm judgmental on that. I get it. My wife is, my wife is super manicure, pedicure. 
She's well, well manicured and pedicure. I, I get mani pedis every week. Ah, there you so, go. So, you know, and I'm I'm a, I'm a grown man, but good. They know me. And, and my, <laughs> my folks, you know, I'm I'm up in there in my mask now and, and super super, you know, uh, uh, all we're supposed to do to to maintain social distancing and everything, but. Um, I need my girl to, to, to be on my, my girl Ann. She takes care of my hands and feet. So I need that. And my and wife my, is always on point with that. And my second last question, it's meta. If I if you were me and I interviewed you, what would your next two moves be after? Great question. What would the next what yeah, would the next two moves you were, be? If you were me and I interviewed you, what would your next steps be? It's a very it's a very interesting question to ask people who you're interviewing because it's a great. I feel like it's a really great question. It gets you in the mind of what how their process works. Mm-hmm. Next steps would be first of all um, how I was going to chop up this hour worth of information um, and make That's it viable packed. for people to be able to consume it. Yeah. Uh, and I think the question after that would be uh, what do I have lined up next? that is going to be uh, as Im- Im- as impactful or more impactful because I always want to improve on what I did last. Interesting. I don't yeah, know man. if that's what you're thinking. No, but I like that. I like, no, so, I like that. You know. And before you get into telling everybody where they can find you and all, all the stuff you have going on, uh, my last question is the most important question is, how can I be of service and value to you and your cause or whatever you need? I'm always here to serve and uh, don't be shy because... E- I've had a few people. I'll give you. I'll give you some help because I really like you. But some people say, "Oh man, you know, just you know, push it out, no problem." And and then Tim's story. And if you don't know Tim's story, he's Oprah's life coach, fantastic brother. Grew up in Compton. He's, you know, he's a he's a pastor as well. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, his answer was, he said, "I'm not going to say I don't need anything because I might need something." And I just like the brother was smart. He was on point about it. So that's my question. Yeah. Well, my answer to you was you you already said you would be willing to to help me uh, with some notes regarding a podcast. Hell yeah. Uh, and I Anytime. We, we we have it on tape also that you recorded it you would do it for free. So Absolutely. Um, I was I was told to never say that, but the fact that you did, I honor you. No, anytime. <laughs> I, I anytime. Wanna, that type of help is is definitely needed because this is a realm that I'm I've heard I need to do a podcast. I just have not carved out the time to just say just do it and here's the time and we're going to do it and then after it's done how to carve it up and dist- you know distribute it and all of those different pieces to the puzzle so that's a that's a pretty big deal that's a way uh, that definitely uh, I'm not too big to ask for you know to ask for help and so you will probably hear from me you know from that standpoint please um, do and I think mainly uh, one way that um, how, before I tell you how folks can reach us Something that's kind of important is with all that's going on in the States here with social injustice, uh, with a lot of the racial tensions and everything that are happening here, uh, there's a lot of different voices, a lot of different organizations, a lot of different alliances. There's opportunities to be involved in everything. Some people are involved in this group or some people are involved in we want to deregulate the police or we want to defund the police or we want to stand for this or it's Breonna Taylor or it's, you know, there's a lot you can do. Uh, and I feel like you don't, you can't do everything, but you can do something. 
And so my something that I'm working on uh, is something uh, called the right to record. And the right to record is very simply um, the stance that it is our First Amendment right to be able to record. We can photograph, we can uh, film, photograph, audio record and video record a law enforcement when they are involved in public activity. Uh, And so long story short, we would never know what happened with Ahmaud Arbery had we not seen it, had someone not been recording. You know, it would have been a different story. You know, uh, we would have never known what happened to George Floyd had no one been recording. Uh, Part of the challenge that I've said that everyone is really, really digging hard into uh, the Breonna Taylor story and to say her name and to know this is what happened to her. Uh, But there was no, no recording of it for people to know what happened, to see what happened. And so it stays in a lot of people's mind as this really bad story, but there's no visual to go with it because there was no recording of it. And recording is not just us recording. Recording is also police officers' body cams recording that we need to have a consistent uh, First Amendment right to make sure that all these things are recorded. And so you're going to see me in the next couple of weeks stepping out there. I I produced a song with a guy named Daryl Simmons who worked with uh, Babyface and L.A. Reid. He's a huge songwriter. Uh, My wife, Kristen, we did a song called We See You. Uh, And the song We See You basically is the soundtrack to this movement of you have a right to record. You want to use wisdom. You want to be safe. You know, you don't have to interject yourself or interfere uh, with something that's happening with law enforcement. But we do have a First Amendment right to be able to record police activity. And that keeps not only us safe and not only keeps African-Americans safe, it keeps good officers safe because you're doing the right thing. Why wouldn't you want that recorded? 100%, you know what I mean? 100%. So, so that's one way that I think that if you see something in the next couple of weeks coming from, from me that's in the We See You vein, uh, just helping draw attention to that means the world. 100%. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I listened to, uh, I think it was, uh, is it, sorry, is it Tim Harlow or, or to, uh, Todd? I can't remember. Sorry, Tim, Tim Harlow. So, when, so mm-hmm. Tim had asked you, he said, you know, Montel, um, what, what what can white people do to help? You know, what, what what should we say? What what do we not say anything? How do we help? Um, and uh, you said, you know, well, there's sympathy and then there's empathy, which is to me is huge because, oh, I'm sorry this happened. Or how can I help? Like, how can I draw attention? And, he, you know, you did say to him, you're like, if, if you don't know what to say, like maybe just say that. I don't know what to say. Very simple. I, I thought about it because I've been thinking about this conversation a lot. I'm in Canada. It's a very, very different environment to the United States. So as a black person in Canada or, or visible minority, Canada is very different, a little more reserved. There's racism that happens consistently, but it's more behind closed doors and quieter, which in my opinion sometimes can be a little worse. I always say, do you want somebody talking crap to your face or talking behind your back? I'd rather have somebody talk crap to my face and say, yo, man, yeah. I don't like you. At least I know where I stand with you. But if you're trying exactly. to stab, if you're trying to stab me in my kidneys from the side and I'm, you know, trying to wiggle, wiggle with you on that, you know, I don't like that. But I said, you know, gosh, when seeing what's going on in the States as a black, 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 and I've been in the States lots and it's true. I go down there and 
you know, I don't want to say it's like uh, you're benign as, as somebody coming from Canada, but I'll deal with cops. I remember being in San Francisco one time and uh, my wife and I were doing something. I can't even remember. The cop came over to me. He's like, what, what are you doing right now? And I was always taught as a young person, you know, Ryan, act right. Uh, be very uh, educated. Understand how to talk to people. Um, and just have a presence about you that says, hey, I'm not going to be a laydown today. Like, if you're going to come at me, this is not just going to go away. And uh, yeah. this guy came out and we're talking. And the conversation went so crazy, so quick. Because I asked him, I said, why are you asking me this? This is not none of your business to ask me this. Because I'm coming from Canada. I say, yo, man, you can't, man. You can't, man. And his whole demeanor was like, what? What did you say to me? And my wife was there, and yeah. she's like, "Oh hell no! This is actually happening right now. Like, you're this is harassment." And so everybody's on the street walking by. It's like down San Francisco, and this guy just. And then all of a sudden, within a minute, another cop car is coming over. I'm like, "What? This? Like, I was just coming out to get some sushi. Very simple, not causing any issues." And I you got so black I, and so quick, bro. <laughs> so you know, long story short, everything was okay. You know, I think you know he pulled my you know I need to see some ID. Here's my passport. Okay, and then I think when he seen that, he's kind of like, oh wait a second, this is a little different. Now we got cross border issues happening here, right? But um, walked away, and I was like, yo, I, I just got totally harassed, and I didn't do nothing, and I I checked all the boxes. Very educated, you know, da 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 da, and that was. For me, uh, a big a big eye opener. So I, I think for you, just have you ever thought of that? Where you're black? Yay! Hi. How are, are you? you? This is Samantha. Hi, Samantha. I'm sorry, I'm taking too much of your dad's time. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I love that. But yeah, yeah. But have you ever thought about it from that perspective? Just, you know, where you're black? Because I know everything is so centered on the United States of America and what's happening with with all of that. And, and it, for people who are black but don't live in the U.S., we're all watching like interesting. You, you know, you're feeling mm -hmm. a certain way about it because you're like, OK, this stuff is that George Floyd thing. Like for me, I was just like, this is uh, I mean, uh, we're not in the are we in the 20 like i didn't i was like wow i just couldn't believe that you know yeah. and i and that's why worldwide people are like oh that's still happening <laughs> it never stopped it never stopped it just now is recorded so i love what you guys are doing with that it's yeah. huge it's it's tough man uh, because the climate is you know it's almost like you know when you have a george floyd that says i can't breathe um, and then you have this coronavirus thing that's happening as the backdrop of the world. Um, and one of the symptoms of coronavirus is that it feels like your lungs uh, are, are filling with fluid. You need ventilators at some point because you can't breathe. Mm. Uh, so I, I think there's a, a spiritual connotation to not being able to breathe that God uh, really called a timeout, a universal timeout. Uh, to be able to draw attention uh, to help the world be able to help a people catch their breath again. Um, and um, we're kind of at a crossroads, especially here in the U.S., where we have to change. Uh, and if we don't change, you know, um, and it's I, also I not it's know. also it's also not your right to take somebody's last breath either. 
as a hu- human. Yeah. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Just just the raw, simple fact of that statement is it's none of your. You have no damn right to take somebody's last breath. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but you know, people, people feel that they can. Yeah. And I think that for for one, blacks or people of color all around the world that are watching this, they have to understand the context that here in America where slavery uh, existed, slavery is the DNA, it's part of the the building blocks in the, the DNA of America. And so, you know, this is, you know, um, you, you go to Cuba and you got, you know, those are some some uh, Africans who, who, uh, who made it to Cuba before they got to America or whatever, you can be White is I don't know what and be you know and be Cuban. You can be black is I don't know what and be Cuban. Whereas here in America, because of the backdrop of slavery, uh, blacks were not even considered to be human. Mm. So you're looking from the lens of I'm I'm a person of color somewhere else in the world because you're Canadian or you are Caribbean or you're wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Here you are a person of color, particularly a, a descendant of slavery. You weren't considered human, yeah. Which is the context of that's why this is is different because you see it. How can they treat black people like that? Well, because black people weren't considered human, yeah. Uh, Be, you know, yeah. and so that's the the backdrop that right now, you know, this isn't just a, a fight for for equality. This is a fight for humanity. This is a Hey, the guy that you got your knee in his neck, he's a human. Mm. It's not even trying to get him to be equal with you. It's not even mm. equal rights. Best of it's civil rights, human rights, you know, just to acknowledge that I'm human. When you can acknowledge that I'm human, then I can push for civil rights and, and try and, and allow you to be civil. And then after you can be civil to me, then I can push for equal rights because we were all created in the image of God. Mm. But you can't even get to equal rights if you can't get civil rights if you don't even have human rights. And so what we're seeing right now is we've made this this leap back in time to where we don't even have a, a lot of humanity happening right now. So it's, it's tough. Uh, Montel Jordan, how can everybody find you? What you got going on? Drop it all. And it's been great. Yeah. This is how we do it, but this is actually how we did it, brother. This is how we did it. That's right. It's been great. That's right. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate the time. Everybody can reach me at uh, montelandkristen.com uh, for everything marriage, resources, books, uh, children's books, all the things we got coming on the horizon. It's M-O-N-T-E-L-L-A-N-D-K-R-I-S-T-I-N, montelandkristen.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at Montel and Kristen. We're on Facebook at Montel and Kristen. We're on YouTube at Montel and Kristen, and we are on uh, Twitter at Montel Jordan. That's all the places, all Montel, Montel and Kristen on Twitter at uh, Montel Jordan. And for you, as a football fan, you got to follow my son, Skylar Jordan, because he is the guy, and he's got an official Twitter page uh, that is worth checking out. I think it's Jordan Skylar 11 Check that out, man. I got I got to check. That's great. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is uh, Montel Jordan is in my top five uh, guests I've always wanted to chat to because I, I when I started the podcast, we've had some really great guests and, and big guests on and stuff. But 
I kind of said I want this to be a revelation legacy of moments in my life and this is how we do it is so is so prominent but um again please leave a five-star review uh google play itunes stitcher we appreciate you and always remember curiosity should be your mandate